Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and on today's podcast I am joined by Dan Lambert and Lucas Ross. Guys, welcome. Good evening guys, evening fellas, evening listeners. Okay, uh, so QPR gave Fulham their customary three points on Saturday, which we will come to very shortly. Uh, There are also two upcoming crucial fixtures away from home against Sheffield United and then Preston. Also, there is the small matter of Mark Warburton's potential future at QPR to discuss. But first, let's start with the game last Saturday. Uh, Were both of you guys there? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, So, Dan, we'll start with you. What was your general thoughts of the game as a whole? Um, it wasn't it wasn't a bad performance. I thought I thought we were I think the majority of the game we were second best, but that's only natural against the Fulham side that are top of the league. Um, I thought I thought we played well first half. I thought we matched them quite well, and then second half was probably a bit more dominant from their point of view in terms of game management. But I don't think we can be displeased with the performance we put in. Lucas, what was your thoughts? thought performance wise it was a major improvement on Peterborough um that was just a grim performance Peterborough was but yeah no I think we just we, we just got outclassed by the best team in the league by a long shot and as we've no as loads of clubs have seen already this season Alexander Mitrovic is a cheat code to the championship title so that, that just undid us yeah so let's have a look at uh the team sheet uh, a few headlines from it. Dykes fit to start after coming off the bench for Scotland in the international break. Uh, no done in the back three. Barbe returned to the side and Sanderson kept his place. Johansson also made a return against his former club. And Odebajo and Wallace replaced Adoma and McCallum on either flanks as wingbacks. And George Thomas was preferred to Ilias Chair. So, Dan, back to you. Your thoughts on the... Uh, the team sheet when it came out, a bit of a maybe a bit of a surprise. A surprise to an extent. I mean, I, I've had my things about um, done recently, so I, I was probably surprised that Sanderson started after his performance against Peterborough. But in the sense that Dunn's been an issue, I feel for for us over the last four or five weeks, I wasn't too surprised compared to most. Um, three five two, I thought was the best system that we could shape up to nullify there. They're back four because obviously you have wing back and uh, sorry, no wing back, full back and winger up against our wing back. So I think Wilson said that we'd press our eights against their full backs. Um, but really, in terms of personnel, the main thing that I kind of saw was the added athleticism, the mobility, the likes of Thomas, uh, Moses. Um, yeah, just to kind of deal with the Fulham's dynamic approach, really. Yeah. Uh, Lucas, what did you think about uh, the changes at wing-backs? Adebarja and Wallace replacing Doma and McCallum. Uh, Do you think that was fair based on the performance against Peterborough? I think wing-backs, as much as I rate McCallum, it was probably what I wanted to see um, on the basis that Moses has been playing well recently in quite a drab run and we usually get our best results when Wallace is on the pitch. So based on based on a combination of those two things, among other things, 
it was what I wanted to see and I was and I was happy with the wing back selection. I thought dropping Dunn was questionable to say the least, given that um he has been the stalwart for us this season, but um I quite quickly understood why, given that he's been on international duty with the Republic of Ireland and I think Dickie and Barbe alongside Dunn would have been what I wanted to see. In midfield, the, I with think the dropping of Dunn, it wouldn't have been. He didn't play for Ireland, did he? No, so, true that. But I don't he, think he, he had a training session when he got back. Right, but regardless, it's sort of stands that his form hasn't been up to scratch really recently. I think. So, I think for me, the the big thing Warburton said uh, he said for like three weeks now that we've needed some sort of press resistance in the central centre back position. Um, he's played Dicky there three times, and I think. I mean, I highlighted his isolation and build-ups weeks ago. Um, I'm not sure the mobility has something to do with him being dropped, but I think the fact that Dickie's played in the centre three three weeks running, I think that says speaks volumes for me. Yeah. What did you think then about Chair being not getting in and Thomas getting a start for once, Dan? But you're a big George Thomas fanatic, so... I'll let well, you go for this one. I was surprised Chair was dropped because I thought his energy could have been um, useful off the ball. Um, but really, when they put, when we play a front two, Chair playing off the off the striker isn't probably his best um, role. I, I like Thomas on Saturday. I thought he played well. Um, gives us energy, pressed well, um, ran the channels, um, link link played quite well. So I thought he was one of our better players on Saturday. Might be nice. Okay. Um, well, you know, it wasn't the usual drubbing that we got, and it was certainly probably a lot better than the performance that we put in earlier on in the season at Craven Cottage. Uh, regardless, though, the first goal was rather soft. Uh, Mitrovic, again, getting another goal. I haven't looked at how many he's on for the season, but he's on, as we all know, an incredible season so far. And He's on 37. Not for the, yeah, 37. Not too bad, is it? Uh, not for the first time this season, Dickie can't really deal with him. No, well, I don't know. I was I was looking at it back, and I was. I mean, it's a very good um, all round goal from him. I think it starts from well, it starts from uh, build up, but Kenny plays a, a diagonal channel ball to Carvalho. Um, Sanderson does well to track him. Um, then I believe Sanderson communicates with Barbe to tell him to to mark Carvalho and. Kenny makes a third man run and slips Carvalho in. It's kind of a bit bit of a tricky situation from there. Um, you could argue that maybe Phil gets to the front post quicker and uh, tries to block off the cross. Um, but I mean, Mitrovic in the penalty area is always the most dangerous striker in the league, um, most complete striker in the league for a reason. So I'm not I'm not too worried about the errors from that goal per se. I think it was a very well worked goal from Fulham. Um, Lucas, do you think that though? Regardless of what Dan said, perhaps that goal and maybe a few other things when he has come up against someone like Mitrovic shows how far Dickie's still got to go to be a Premier League footballer. Because it's not Mitrovic isn't probably is good enough to be in the Premier League. He didn't show it last time they were there, and that was probably down to more Scott Parker's decisions as manager rather than Mitrovic himself. But he is obviously a low end. Premier League striker, high-end championship. So if Dickie's struggling against him there, do you reckon he needs another couple of seasons with us before he can move on? Probably, yeah. I think 
if if you're going to struggle against Alexander Mitrovic, you're going to struggle against ninety five percent of the boards in the top flight. Let's let me put it that way. Um, Dicky, he's a top top centre half on his day. He's one of the best, if not the best, centre half in the league. But against Mitrovic, his weaknesses were well and truly exploited by the big Serb up top. And I think he had a horrible time up against him. And I think with his with the subs' abilities in the championship, it really showed. And ultimately, he, ultimately the first goal went in. Westwood couldn't really have done much about it. I actually thought Westwood played quite well on Saturday, given that he's been given a mammoth task, coming in basically plucked out of retirement to come in and play for us. I think he's done really, really well given the circumstances and credit where credit is due, obviously. But I think it's just it's just one of those things really where you can't really you struggle to cope with a, a, stri- a striker with that much nous. Um, you mentioned him already. We've done a little bit on him, Dan Thomas. He does have a few good chances, doesn't he? Um, it's the, he, has, he has two in the first half. He has one which. I think for me they're a bit. I think Warburton in a post match he described the second one as a big chance. I don't think for me that's a big chance. I think it's a good chance, but I don't think it's a big chance. Then they're both from. For me, they're both from fairly tight angles. Yeah. I think he's got to do a lot for the second one to beat Rodak at the near post. Um, same same with the first one really. Um, you could probably argue they were our better chances of of the whole game. Um, but no, I don't think we created a few chances in terms of quantity, but I don't think we created anything in terms of quality. Okay. Um, now, I wasn't actually at the game, but anyone uh, who's been on Twitter the last couple of days would have been aware of the general opinion of how the ref performed on Saturday, specifically around the penalty. came quite late in the game, didn't it? Um, not a pen, is it? No, not at all. Not for me. Not for me. It... It's way too close. He's, I don't think he's moved his arm from the running position. Um, I thought the ref was poor generally all game. I don't think he was. I, I think there's been worse refereeing performances um, against us. But um, even Mitrovic like throwing a, throwing a struck in the first three minutes for not getting a corner, which was a corner, but like it, it, it yeah, I've never seen anything like it. Um, Harry Wilson goes down like he's been snapped a couple of times from the top of top of the stadium. Uh, he's I suppose you can call it um, tactical in a way. Uh, they know what they're doing, but yeah, no. In terms of general decisions, they they they, do, they weren't going in our favour. And Lucas, there was a moment with uh, that involved the bench, didn't it? The time wasting from the Fulham camp, and then we get our was it Eustace that got sent off and a yellow card for Mark Warburton as well. I mean, I know we've seen some pretty shocking time-wasting tactics from the likes of Preston so far this season. But, I mean, just watching it back, I can't believe the ref reads it in that way, to be honest. And, you know, having seen the penalty decision, you probably shouldn't be shocked. But then again, nothing seems to surprise me when it comes to refereeing in the Championship. Exactly. As I've said, the the, the, the standard of officiating the championship is absolutely abysmal. My old my my Saturday league games on a cold, soggy pitch in Buckinghamshire were officiated to a higher standard than the championship for crying out loud. But um on on a more serious note, um I thought the refereeing was awful on Saturday, it didn't help us in any way, shape or form. 
never in a million years is that a penalty. His arm is in a natural position and it just happens to come off about here, his, his, the bottom of his shoulder. And yeah, go, demonstrating and like that isn't great for the audio <laughs> medium, mate. No. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it is a pretty horrible decision. Um, I was at the other end of the ground at the time, so I didn't really see it at first. But then once I saw a replay, I was mortified. And yeah, never's that. That's never a penalty. Should should have been a corner, and from that corner, who knows what happens? But yeah, no, it's an absolutely shocking decision. As for the incident in second half stoppage time, if anything, the Fulham coach should get booked because he's he's the one who brings it out, and then Eustace tries to put a stop to it. He does the right thing and gets sent off for it. And Mark Wilson seemingly trying to back him up gets yellow card. Bit like the Bournemouth match where. Um, our, our good friend Keith Stroud was referee. Dazelle was trying to stick up for his man and get a second yellow card and then sent off. It's a bit like deja vu, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, as, as I've already mentioned, I wasn't actually at this game. So is there anything that I've missed that you guys want to bring up in particular? Before we, I've got what, a few more things to say, but just while we've got the opportunity, is there anyone that stood out for you uh, on either side, really, who had a particularly good game? Probably more QPR. Um, I thought, well, for, for Fulham in terms of, I mean, Cavalier is a very good talent. Um, I thought he played well most of the game. I, I thought I personally thought Sanderson had a good game. I thought he was one of the better people, um, better players on the pitch. Uh, he had one or two minor errors in possession, but I think he made two superb recoveries. Uh, one against Kearney, which he looked through on goal at that point, and it could have been game over. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not. I, I've said this before, but I'm not too, too keen on some of the criticism he gets personally. But uh, each to each their own. I think the criticism of him has been about recent performances, and um, you know, people are a little bit sort of disappointed that Device isn't actually at the club at the moment, away on loan, playing well in Germany. Um, so that's something that obviously is quite frustrating for a lot of fans and he hasn't really played well enough recently. I know he has his, um, he, he has his strengths as does everyone, but you know, I think maybe it's a little bit early to judge someone. I can't remember how many games he's played, but it can only be about four or five. It's not a massive amount of games. He's been in and out and this is probably one of the few times he's had a solid run in the side. So, um, you know, I would say withhold judgment on him until the end of the season. We're probably not going to get him next year anyway, unless Wolves release him on a free or whatever. We're certainly not going to go in with money for him, I'd imagine. Um, And as I said, you've got the device situation that's still got to be sorted out. Um, But I wouldn't really be... Sanderson isn't one of the players that I'd be sort of worried about at this point in time. He's still young, new to the side, and doesn't get played that often. Um, Lucas, anything that you wanted to bring up regarding the game? Um, I'm just going to touch on Sanderson here. He's played six plus one games, obviously six six starts and one substitute appearance. I think in most of those games, he's played pretty well. I think Hull, he had quite a good game. Um, Blackpool was playing well until he got sent off. Um, Peter Brub, he was one of the few. I think that's um, his only stinker for me. 
He's contained. Okay. He contained Brennan Johnson. Um, Peterborough in the cup. That is. Oh, um, I thought he played well then. I thought it was the league game. Yeah, P- Peterborough in the cup. He was one of the. He was. He was the few silver linings to a very dark cloud. Peterborough at home. He was abysmal. One of the worst individual performances I've seen this season, and that says something. Um, but other than that, he's he's done. He's come in in not not an easy situation at all. Obviously, at the time. We were in. We were in with a shout of playoffs. And now it slipped away. He, he was. He was playing. He's playing well. He's. He's done okay for the most part, especially given that he was. He was in a seemingly lower mid table and come relegation scrap with Birmingham in the first half of the season. I think he's made the step up reasonably well. Okay. Um, one thing that I wanted to just mention before we move on. Um, Johansson was getting quite a lot of criticism for clapping the Fulham fans. Genuine question here. Uh, is anyone here bothered by that? No. Lucas? Sort of. Um, in this case, it did take a very long time for him to get off the pitch. I did notice at the time, but he was actually carrying an injury. Um, I think had I known that, it would have been, I think I probably would have accepted it. But at the time, not really. Now, having seen that he was carrying an injury and faced a late fitness test for tomorrow, yeah. And does he, does he deserve to be captain? He's played golf with John Terry. I don't really know what to say about that, but yeah, I no, mean, I think it was questionable, that's for sure. He can have his uh, his friends outside of QPR or whatever. Um, but I just can't believe that people are getting angry about the fact that well, I can believe it because it's QPR fans on Twitter. But he uh, he's a bit of a sort of, I don't know if it's the right word to say, but maybe a bit of a modern day legend for Fulham, being involved in two playoff sides for them, scored a lot, a few goals, very entertaining footballer to watch. Um, and, you know, he clapped fans that you, that still quite clearly have a lot of affection and time for him, um, as would... QPR fans do if say Charlie Austin wasn't playing for QPR at the moment um, and Charlie Austin would probably clap back. He would also suggest that Charlie, Charlie Austin that uh, he wouldn't celebrate against QPR but he would celebrate against every other team and stuff like that. So you know there's it's just weird. I, under, I don't understand why it's such a big thing a footballer played for another team he probably wouldn't be playing for QPR right now um if it weren't for the fact that the Fulham hierarchy didn't quite fancy him in the side anymore for whatever reason that was the decision that was made and he's come to QPR partly because he wanted to play football in this area still on in this division but also because at the end of last season when he did come in you know it kind of there was a lot of love for him from QPR fans. And I think that this season, the criticism of him has been ridiculous. He is quite clearly still one of our better players. And at the weekend, just having a look at the stats, Fulham had four players that managed to make two key passes. Now, a key pass is the final pass leading to a shot at goal from a teammate. Um, only one QPR player managed to match them, and that was Johansson, Thomas, Amos and Field. Regardless of how well you thought they performed from a progressive attacking-wise, didn't create 
any key passes, so weren't likely to create many assists. Um, I think this is something that Dan said, something that I've said. Field is a very good defensive midfielder, and he's a good holding midfielder, but he doesn't make the progressive pass. So it is left to Johansson to do everything. I mean, Amos has scored a few goals recently, and we're very happy for that. But he's not really... He's not created anything. It's a difficult game, but you know, you've know you got to go to, into these games with some sort of confidence that you might actually do something. Um, and with Willock and this time with Chair not playing, you know, Johansson was the only one there that was actually able to put a progressive ball forward perhaps or make a key pass. But what do you guys think? Like, I just thought the criticism, I don't quite understand it. He's regularly up there as one of our better players. Um, well, I don't think there's, I haven't got too much more to add. I mean, I've been um, defending him the majority of the season. Um, I don't think, the, I mean, I know there's certain parts of the fan base that don't like him and there's certain Twitter accounts with decent followings that, that promote this um, this criticism. I'm not going to say who they are and they know who they are, but I I think it's more agendas for me. I don't, I really do not understand the um you can you can show all the statistical evidence, but they're the type of people that will tell you they don't mean anything. Football's played on grass, all that all that kind of um, all that kind of stuff. I just I don't I think the fact that there's more loving for Dizel than there is Johansson, I think just just sums up the whole the whole thing for me. I, I don't I don't have an issue with Dizel, but he's not he's not the quality of Johansson for me. Um, Johansson's our our best midfielder, uh, well at least. The best um, technical midfielder um, for our for our team. So yeah, that's that's about it for me. The thing is that I've seen from some people is that they say that he's not playing as well as last season. Well, actually, he's got the same amount of goals and assists last year. Slight different balance. He's only got one goal this season. He had a few more last year, um, and he's actually got an average of one point seven key passes per game, which is the joint highest for any QPR player alongside Elias Chair, I believe. And it places him in the top 15 players for that statistic in the league. Last season, he averaged 1.6. So actually, he's got better. He's improved his chance creation. I don't, you know, I don't see where maybe he could have scored a few more goals. Maybe he could have created a few more obvious assists. But he is still so crucial to this side. And it's no surprise to me that when he was a regular in the side, we were winning plenty of games and with it being, you know, the last couple of months, he's been in and out of injury, illness, not being selected, whatever. We've struggled from time to time. So, you know, I hope that he's fit for tomorrow's game against Sheffield United because we need him in these final few games. If there's any chance of us still making the playoffs, it's because Stephanie Hansen, the captain, is going to be in that side and the players still believe in him. And I think we should as well. Uh, it's Lost. Just, sorry, it's just worth saying. Um, QPR analytics on Twitter updated the um, the chance creation um, graph um, a few days ago, and well, chairs top with two per per game. Uh, Some of these receives quite a lot of criticism for being the reason why of doubt of our downfall. Uh, Johansson's on one point nine, and he's ahead of he's ahead of Chris Willock on one point six from a deeper position. Um, I, I think that says enough as it is. Um, yeah, he's not dropped. He's not dropped at all um, since the last last visit that he posted. So, yeah, that's that's, that's well inside. 
Okay. Uh, last thing to say about Fulham. Was this overall, Lucas, a game where simply the opposition's quality counted a bit more? You know, the amount of money that they can throw at their side. I think we've seen this week the amount of money they've shown, they've given to agents this season. Um, you know, is this just this is just a Fulham side destined to win the league, isn't it? And you can't really read too much into this game. Yeah, I think just like Man City, they've effectively bought the title. Let's be for real here. Another side um, in the Championship, maybe Bournemouth, have more money than set have the money to sense ratio favouring money as much as Fulham do. Um, Bournemouth might come close, but. Fulham have effectively bought the title. They they outspent the rest of the league in the summer, and their and their expenditure on agents this season has exceeded our expenditure on transfers this season, which I think says it all. To be honest, about how much money Fulham have and how they've effectively bought the title, if you like. Yeah. Okay. Um, so moving on, the next thing that we're just going to briefly talk about is a little story that broke. Uh, after the match on Saturday, from first from the Daily Mail, and then it was also picked up by Talksport and reported by them live on air. And this was the suggestion, or the very bold claim by the Daily Mail, that Walton was going to be sacked post match, and that he would, yeah, that we would be looking for a new manager for the last eight games of the season. Um, it was also reported on in a slightly different way. I think the language is slightly different from the Daily Telegraph. They were saying that he's on the brink rather than he's going to be sacked. And obviously, at this point in time, he hasn't been sacked. Uh, West London Sport uh, have come out with an article. Uh, David McIntyre, who wrote the article, has said that uh, he's not going anywhere for the time being. The club hierarchy have no intention of sacking Warburton before the end of the season. And I think that's language is crucial obviously they have a interest in getting as many readers in as possible but Warburton's contract is expiring at the end of the season there's always been a little bit of confusion over it he signed a new deal earlier on this year that was for improved terms that was not for an extension of the contract so just more money I guess better bonuses whatever what what was your thoughts when you first saw this story emerge on Saturday evening? Um, surprised. Um, I don't think he should be any. I don't think. I think he's earned himself um, another season, in my opinion. I don't think we're, we're what ninth. Um, we're not in not in crisis mode completely. Um, nowhere near. I think. Um, I think it's worth noting that I think the Telegraph reported that the talks happened after the Peterborough defeat. Um, so it wasn't, as some suggested, a rush decision just after losing 2-0 to Fulham. Um, yeah, the contract situation is interesting, though, I think. The fact that there's been no talks about an extension. Perhaps they're waiting for the end of the season on the basis if we go up or not. Uh, that that seems what, what's happening. Um it seems I, like that with Barbe as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's happened with all that. Les said ages ago in West London Sport about the contracts. They're waiting until the end of the season to kind of see the situation. So maybe it's that. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's a weird one. Some some clearly want him gone. Um, I think I'd like to think the majority don't. Um, I mean, this is what this is our best playoff push in years. Um, yeah. I mean, looking at his overall record uh, in comparison, and thanks to Jack Seppel for this, but he put up on Twitter the stats for from January 2012 onwards, permanent managerial appointments for QPR. Warburton has obviously got the most games, he has the most wins, and he has the obviously the best win percentage of 37.8, uh, the second highest being Harry Redknapp with 34.3. So after 143 games with 54 wins, 34 draws, and 55 defeats, you know, I think... It, I think he's earned another go, isn't he, Lucas? Yeah, I think. Um, I think last last season. I think last season, the second half of last season was nothing short of world class. And I think what everyone wanted to happen this season was make all the loans permanent and build on um, the build on the Arnold Schwarzenegger strong like finish to last season. Um, up until the Reading game, we were doing that. But since then, it's been a matter of two wins in 11 and it's just seemingly slipped away. Um, I think he needs to get transfers right this summer. And if he does that, if he brings in, if he brings in more attacking options, um, then he gets another bite of the cherry, in my opinion. And then I think it's either get top six or you're gone next season, in my opinion. I think... Um, I think this season I was saying in like June, July, I want I, I want to finish higher than last season because that shows progression at the club. And I think next season is when we should really go for it and go for top six. Obviously, we were we will be pleasantly surprised this season um, to an extent up until mid and up until back end of January um, as how how we were progressing. I don't think anyone saw. Um, the, the form that we were in coming, um, but then it's just seemingly slipped away. I think next season it needs to rebuild. I think keep most of the good performances this season. I think keeping Willock is essential. I think chair keeping chair would be ideal. And some people, and I think some people, I might get a bit of slack for this, but I think we also need to keep Charlie Austin as well because. Um, I've noticed a correlation. Well, he's not, um, I don't think he'll be going anywhere. He signed a two-year deal, didn't he? I don't think we'll be selling him. Yeah, tr- true that. But I've seen that some people want him out the door this summer. And I'm just saying that he's United, United a very um, torn squad. Um, got and, has, and we started winning games instantly when he came in, which just goes to show the effects that he's had on this side. And I think... It's gone into this season. He's obviously popped up with a couple of vital goals himself and the creation of some lifelong memories as well. But I think um, if we keep if we keep most of our important players this season, obviously get Dieng back to fitness. Yeah. Um, I think Wallace deserves one. I think Wallace deserves another season. I think give Moses a new deal um, of another of a couple more seasons with us because he's shown his qualities this year. I think. Um, give every, I think do what we so need to give do. everyone a new deal. Uh, give everyone Even all the old offered, players. Give give everyone who's offered value to the team this season a okay. new deal. Um, obviously, some people haven't offered much. Obviously, 
that they don't get new deals. Not not going to name and shame, but that you will know who you are. Um, I think, <laughs> okay. Well, um, I, I think, think get, give give everyone a value new deals and go again next season. Okay. Um, the contract situation, I don't mind. Like you say, Dan, um, the fact that we're not doing that right now. There's bigger things that they need to focus on. And if we did have a sort of contract dispute going on amongst uh, Warburton and a few of the other players right now, it could be even more distracting than it already is. And we don't need that. Uh, interesting in the article that he also said that he had players asking the obvious questions and it's unsettling for them. This was after the story broke on the Daily Mail's website. Um, and he was... I think he, as per usual with Warburton, anytime there's a rumour about him or one of his players, he's quite rightly furious and he gets quite angry about it. Um, I mean, you know, it, we've see, seen his interviews from time to time when he gets questioned on something, he can get a little bit salty. But I think this is fair enough. They're speculating about his future at a point where he's very settled and majority of the fans, even though... They say, this is disgraceful, this is that, whatever. I think you saw them change their tune as soon as they saw this article come out. Um, so, yeah, we settled on the fact that Warburton shouldn't be going anywhere and he won't be going anywhere, which is useful. Moving on then uh, to the first game that we need to preview this week is tomorrow night's rearranged fixture against Sheffield United away from home. Their form, Dan, has curtailed a little bit lost three games in the last seven. But unfortunately, all those games were away from home. And at home, they've beaten Barnsley and thrashed Middlesbrough and then took a, then drew against Forest. So whilst their form isn't great, perhaps across all seven games, still a very formidable side at home, aren't they? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they've, they've um, hit a bit of bad form over, the, over recent times, but I think they've kind of hit... They hit the right form under Heckingbottom um, towards the latter stages of the season. Obviously, I think they were they were probably bottom half of the table probably before Christmas, um, and now they've, I think, majority over the since then they've they've done really well. Um, they're going to be a good side. Um, tough test, obviously. We're not in. We're not probably in our best. Well, we're not in our best form anyway. But confidence wise, we're probably better than we were before Fulham after that performance. I reckon. Um, they have got problems though up front. Um, I think McBurney trained today, so he might be back. Um, Sharp's injured for them. Um, and they had Daniel Jebberson, um, who played on Saturday, who's come off back off alone from Burton. So they're probably not in an ideal situation up top, depth wise. Yeah, because they're missing McGoldrick as well, aren't they? And Bruce, yeah, he's long term. Yeah, both of them are. McGoldrick and Brewster are both out until next season. Mm. They've had a massive um, injury crisis. Actually, the first time I was aware of this was when I was uh, out in Barbados having a chat with a Sheffield United fan, and they uh, they did mention the fact that we were playing each other quite quite soon. And uh, he said, "No, we're going to go. Our form is going to get a lot worse. We've got so many injuries." I was like. Oh, that'd be quite handy if you could carry on playing rubbish for when we play you. That'd be really nice. Um, but, Lucas, what are you expecting from Sheffield United tomorrow night? Right, OK. So, 
Based on Sheffield United's most recent outing, which was a 1-0 defeat away at Stoke, um, I'm expecting... Um, I'm expecting Wes Fondringham to continue in goal. That goes without saying he's been very good for them this season. I'm, I'm saying that I reckon they could well stick with a back three. Um, ben Davies and Rangers old boy Jack Robinson will be in the side without question. Who the third centre-back is, um, um, John Egan had a bit of a stinker scoring an own goal on Saturday. Um, is up for debate. I think we'll see Sander Burge in the team alongside John Fleck. Um, and I think they're quite depleted on attacking options as well because um, their lack of players. Obviously, Billy Sharp's out injured. So it wouldn't surprise me if Morgan Gibbs-White is deployed as a false nine. Um, wouldn't, surprise, wouldn't surprise me if that happened. Obviously, they've got um, Billy Sharp's injured, McGoldrick is injured and Brewster's We've got they've got their three best strikers all injured at the moment, um, and yeah, it's not looking pretty. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Gibbs White plays as a false nine. Um, does anyone know if and if 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 Ilman and Dai is fit? Because um, I reckon he could well um, he could well um, be given the crack up top if he's um, fit, um, which could well be quite worrying in my opinion. But it's okay. Um, as for tomorrow, I think it's a crucial, crucial game. Um, two sides not in very good form. This is actually our game in hand on Blackburn, so a chance to close the gap. Um, and after after the game, Forest will have three games in hand on us, which is a bit of a worry, um, especially if we win, because they could they could still finish eight points ahead of us if they win said three games in hand, which is worrying. As I said. Um, I think it's a good chance to close some space. Whether we'll close the space, I don't know. But I think um, win tomorrow and we have to give the playoffs a really, really good crack this season. Lose tomorrow and we'll just have to go again next season. Um, but yeah. what what do I know? Um, Dan, Morgan Gibbs-White was a player that Lucas mentioned there. Nine goals and seven assists so far in the Championship this season. I saw his fantastic goal against Middlesbrough. Um, he's the obvious star player for them at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Um, his partnership with Sharp in recent games there has been has been very good. Um, so I don't know how that's going to fare without Sharp. Um, I think if McBurney comes in and starts... However, that inconsistent his form and playing time has been of late, I think that makes a better difference than um, than them starting Jefferson purely off the basis that gives them a bit more of a focal point, someone that can link with Gibbs White. Um, they can gain territory a bit easier. They've got other threats. I mean, I think Norwood's quite an underrated six in my opinion. Um, probably one of the better six in the sixes in the league. Um, the, I think the interesting thing is the wing backs. I think Bulldog is probably one of their weak areas. Um, I've seen some people, um, Sheffield United fans, say his delivery has been rather poor. Um, so I think if we tack down the left-hand side a bit more like we do, um, we can get some joy there. Yeah. Uh, so obviously another uh, another two sides that are probably going to be playing wing-back formation tomorrow. Um, is there anyone that you would like to see come back into the side for tomorrow very quickly before we move on to Preston? 
Um, I think pretty obvious one, even though it's probably not going to happen, but some which I myself, along with loads of other Rangers fans, would like to see would be would be the return of Don Ball. He's seemingly gone missing since the back end of October. Quick question um, then, Lucas: Who would Don Ball come in for? Oh, about that. Um, <laughs> um, I'd say come in for Johansson if he's not fit. Um, but if he is fit, um, I'd say prob- it should probably be Ball, Johansson, Field, three tough tackling midfielders on their day who, who will take yellow card for the team and know how to play well. OK. Um, Dan, any thoughts? Um, I'll bring Andre Gray back, I reckon. But if, if he can play alongside Dykes, that'd be a... That'd be a good thing. I reckon play... I'd bring Cher in, probably. Um, for for Johansson, if he's not fit. Um, yeah, that'd, that'd probably be the, the main changes I'd make. Yep, OK. I think it's more likely that Amos keeps his place in the side, doesn't he? And probably drops a bit deeper if Johansson's not fit. And then you can fit Cher back in. I would... I wouldn't mind Dykes being... Not dropped, but rested for this game. Like I said, have Gray up front. Uh, away girl specialist. And uh, because, and we're going to move on to this now, Preston away on Saturday, must be. Um, having looked at a few of their games, they have been woeful at clearing the ball from any sort of cross corner or just from out wide. So just watching that, I was kind of thinking Dykes should definitely be starting against P- Preston at the weekend. It's kind of surprising that Preston are... I mean, you know, think of them as being a bit of a physical side. The fact that they aren't, they are struggling with that sort of thing surprised me a little bit. But they've, against the game, who was it they played? Luton, that was it, 4 0. Uh, I'm sure, Dan, you will have plenty to say about that. Um, but the, I think every single goal came from a cross into the box uh, where they've either failed to clear their lines or lost, their, lost the first header. Like, it just, Seems strange. So I think in a Domer and Dykes to start definitely against Preston. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, for me, for me, I mean, I reckon we. I fancy us to beat Preston regardless of the Sheffield United result. I, I don't know what it is about them, but I think they're they've got a rather average squad. They've got some good players, but the depth. I think they're lacking in depth. Um, and under low, they look a bit better than what they were when we first played them. Um, but they're quite predictable, I think. Um, I think he's used for a wing for using. He played a four three three on Saturday against Derby, but when they've played a three, his preferred three five two, I think he's used about thirteen different wing back combinations, which doesn't exactly scream consistency. Um, so it'd be it'd be an interesting te- test, but I think we can. I think we can beat them. Lucas, just one win for Preston in their last five. They currently sit. In fifteenth place, that one win did come against Bournemouth. Though, is there anyone from Preston, just one player in particular that you would, in this very average side as described by Dan Lambert, that you would pick out as being a bit of a threat for us? Um, I'm actually going to go with the goalkeeper here, Daniel Iverson, because despite losing one nil against Derby, he did get man of the match. He's been a bit of a shining star recently. Um, Obviously, in two of the last three games against Cardiff and against Preston, he did get man of the match in both. So I think um, um, one thing I've noticed from the reverse fixture is that um, he struggles um, with shots um, to his to his left 
because um, I think at least two of the three goals he scored against them were to his left. Um, okay, they they were good finishes in the reverse fixture, but still, I think some more play. I think another player, so as a goalkeeper, another player who he could well need to keep an eye on is Emil Rees, but he did go off after thirty five minutes against Derby. Whether that was to make way for another centre half or out of injury, I don't know. But yeah, no, I think them two are definitely players to keep an eye out for. And um, I would like to see Dykes and possibly even Charlie Austin in the team against Preston because, as you said, they leak loads of goals from crosses. And Austin's quite good from crosses, especially at the moment um, where he's not physically, where he's not as athletic anymore. He jumps a lot and is heading is very good because as we've seen this season um score quite a lot of goals from headers and i think i think i'd like to see austin up top against preston dan any thoughts on uh emil reese jacobson 13 goals this season for preston in the championship uh, top scorer yeah, it's a, it's a weird one uh he's got i think he's got 17 in all competitions um yeah but since since lowe's come in he hasn't really used him to the best of his ability. Like Lucas said, he came off after the red card at 35 minutes. Um, I think both their strikers, Reese and Archer, Cameron Archer, I really rate highly, unknown from Villa, uh, only 20 years old, um, good finisher. Good. He, I think he'll, he'll, he'll have a great career. Um, I think one other, one other player that we need to watch out for is Ben Whiteman. Uh, obviously we were linked with him when we went, when we were trying, before we signed Johansson. Um, I think the January before last, um, he's basically their their big big player in terms of their access from build up. If you stop, so really, if you stop him, like many teams have um, in games, they don't really have another another way of um, progressing progressing into into the final third. So I think yeah. that's one that we we need to kind of nullify early on. Uh, one last thing to say about Preston. Uh, they've had five red cards in their last five matches. Two of them have actually been for Preston, three for the opposition. So, could be an interesting afternoon. Uh, so, yeah, that is all to say about them. Unless you guys have got anything else to say? Okay, then. Let's start with some predictions for Sheffield United. Lucas. Ooh. <laughs> I don't want to predict a loss, so I'm not going to. I'm going to say it's going to be a 1-1 draw. Scrappy game. Okay, and that by the look of Dan's reaction, you've taken his prediction. Yep. That was going to be my... I'll go I'll go something... I'll go 2 I'll go 2 I don't think it will be, but I'll just say 2 to be different. I, I'm saying 1-0. Uh, Lyndon Dykes header off the bench. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I thought you didn't want to start him. I don't want him to start, but he's going to make a great impact off the bench. Uh... Dan, you can start this time. Preston, what's the prediction going to be? Um, 3-1 to us. 3-1 and Lucas? Um, I'm saying 2-0 and, Pre- and a Preston player gets sent off. <laughs> uh, I'll go and say 3-2. If I'm not mistaken that'll be the same score line as the last game that we played before lockdown yeah yeah it was yeah um it was you know it was 3-1 last game before lockdown 3-2 reverse fixture okay um lovely stuff then uh so that is the end of this week's podcast 
uh thank you very much for listening thank you very much to dan and to lucas for joining me this week uh a few things to just wrap up before we go um dan has his substack tactical substack so you can look find that on his twitter page uh and your twitter handle dan is what um dan lambert underscore fantastic and lucas is also on twitter lucas your one um, Lucas underscore Ross 10 and also I'm, I'm just going to use this as an opportunity to promote my other podcast um, the Top 4 Tears podcast which I produce and edit um, please give us a listen we cover all things English football and that will be swiftly edited out um, <laughs> uh, okay uh, no joking of course uh, seeing as we're plugging up a podcast why not uh, I was on the Championship Chat podcast last week for a playoff special it they have done another one since then but they interviewed uh everyone from uh, a podcast relating to each team close to the playoffs and uh this was all recorded prior to fulham i'm still optimistic i was optimistic then uh so do go listen to them on all good podcasting platforms and you'll find the links to that on the our generation twitter page and on my twitter page which is at alex blumore three uh, so yeah, thank you very much for listening once again, and until next time, come on, you us. <laughs>